We have once again come to that time of the week, and I look forward to this time of the week when we get to visit with our friend Jamie Court, C-O-U-R-T. Jamie Court is the president of Consumer Watchdog, and boy, do we need ConsumerWatchdog.org now more than ever. The best, in my humble opinion, consumer group out there. They don't take no prisoners. They confront everybody. Expose, confront, and change. Jamie Court, thanks so much for coming back on the Norman Goldman Show. It's always great being here, Norm. Thank you. Well, Jamie, you know, we've been friends a long time, and I've been an advocate for Consumer Watchdog for a very long time, and there's proof right on ConsumerWatchdog.org right now as to why I am. You've got a, a survey showing that the public is not at all impressed with driverless cars. Jamie, we've talked driverless cars a lot. Apparently, the public is not as is nearly as unimpressed as we are. Is that it? Wow, yeah, it, it's really remarkable. We polled voters in uh, California, Florida, Michigan, and South Dakota. Uh, Florida, Michigan, South Dakota are states where the legislators in the Senate who are pushing for a quick, uh, quick entrance to the road for driverless cars without any regulation of from. And overall, if you take all those states in aggregate, 79% of voters, nearly 8 in 10, say they're either very concerned or somewhat concerned for their safety as a passenger, a pedestrian, a bicyclist on the road if there's a driverless car. 56% say they'd be very concerned uh, about being in any of those situations on the road with a driverless car. And the voters' concerns, interestingly, go beyond just physical safety. Eight in ten say they're, you know, uh, they're very concerned or somewhat concerned about the data that's being collected by the driverless cars. So, ironically, in some states, people are more concerned about the data than their physical safety, but both of them concerns rise to the level about eight of ten uh, people, American people, 75% of voters say they oppose victims of crashes being forced into arbitration, which is something the Senate bill contemplates. And 59% say they don't believe driverless cars will be safe enough in their lifetime to consider using. That's really incredible. Six out of 10 people say in their lifetime they don't believe driverless cars are ready. Wow. Now, this is very interesting because it matches our experience with the technology, which is not up to what the industry says it's up to. 80% of those surveys say they believe the government should regulate driverless car technology rather than allow the industry to self-regulate it. And so the question is whether people in Michigan, South Dakota, Florida, and California, and probably likely the rest of America are reflecting these same views because they're very, very common across all these states. Are those, is the will of those people going to be heard or is the will of the Senate? Where Senator Thune said, well, despite all these crashes we've seen from driverless cars, we're still going full speed ahead. We're not applying the brakes. And what this poll really shows is that the public wants the brakes applied. Interestingly enough, 58% say they believe the loss of jobs due to driverless car technology should slow its deployment. And this is an area we've been really uh, concerned about. Uh, you know, President Trump says he wants to preserve American jobs, and yet he's uh, speeding the plow to get these cars on the road before they're safe. And that's going to cost a lot of people their drives. And, jobs and possibly some people their lives. Well, Jamie, it's fascinating because Senator John Thune of South Dakota, who you referenced there, he's the number three guy on the Republican side in the United States Senate. Very much a corporate guy. And, you know, it's a shame that he's putting corporate interests ahead of his own constituents, who obviously are not at all very impressed with these uh, devices. So, Jamie, let's talk Tesla and their autopilot, because I believe, uh, if I've got it right, Consumer Watchdog is now leading the way on doing something with Tesla and their auto... Uh, their driverless car feature, right? Yep. 
the, the Tesla autopilot feature is really misnamed. And so along um, with the Center for Auto Safety, Consumer Watchdog filed a petition with the FTC saying it's actually an unfair and deceptive name because we just had another crash. Someone else died. We think autopilot was engaged. This adds to a crash a month ago where autopilot was engaged. And we continue to have the same problem, which is people using autopilot think it's autopilot. They don't pay enough attention. They don't keep their hands on the wheel. And they're probably not supposed to if they're getting a technology called autopilot. In addition, uh, you know, Tesla's website, as we point out in the petition for the FTC, really misleads people about the state of this technology. And so what's happened is the car really isn't equipped to uh, see uh, certain colors. Its video always fails on certain colors. And it doesn't have LIDAR, which is a mix of laser and radar. It has radar. And so sometimes the radar shoots under uh, semi-trucks or fire trucks. And you see a lot of these crashes into walls where the camera can't delineate a color. Or in the case of China, it was a street sweeper on a gray day. It was a, a fire truck that was too high on a California freeway. It was uh, a white truck in Florida when a Navy SEAL died that was too high for radar and the camera couldn't see white. And Tesla doesn't do anything about it. It just blames the victim, said so they should have kept their hands on the wheel. Well, you can't name a product autopilot and tell them to keep their hands on the wheel. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're seeing here. More information, too, on this Uber crash in a uh, Arizona, which was a fully autonomous car, um, just came out today, actually. Reuters moved the story. And uh, basically, the National Tra Traffic Safety Bo uh, Board said, it took six seconds, excuse me, before the radar system observed the pedestrian that was right in front of it. And at 1.3 seconds before impact, the system determined emergency braking was needed. But a human being would in a millisecond identify someone out of a peripheral vision of their eyes. And this just shows how weak this technology is. We've talked about it before. It doesn't have the sense, doesn't have the vision of a human being, and that's why someone died. Uh, others of us would have known to go slow in this neighborhood where pedestrians cross. We would have probably seen this person on our peripheral vision. We may be able to save their lives. So uh, I think this is a perfect storm, and unfortunately the Senate's not hearing uh, the, weather, uh, the weather alert. We're talking to our friend Jamie Court. He's the president of Consumer Watchdog. Court is spelled C-O-U-R-T, and they do go to court. ConsumerWatchdog.org, they do go to court, but they do a whole lot more. Check them out at ConsumerWatchdog.org, and you'll see this right there on the front page, a giant article about the survey talking about the public skepticism on these driverless cars. And Jamie, let me move us over to another topic. You and I have discussed this one before, and it's it's very much in the news again. And it's a very, it's a horrible story, but we have to deal with horrible stories and it involves doctors. We all know about Dr. Larry Nasser from Michigan State University. Michigan State University just settled a giant lawsuit for half a billion dollars to compensate at least 332 women who were sexually abused by Dr. Nasser while he was treating them for USA Gymnastics. And he just sexually assaulted and abused hundreds and hundreds of women. And that was horrible enough. Now here in Los Angeles, we have at the University of Southern California, Dr. George T. 
Tyndall, T-Y-N-D-A-L-L. He was basically the only gynecologist at the school's clinic for 27 or so years. The school got many, many, many complaints about him sexually abusing, sexually uh, mistreating women, including from the nurses who were there with him supervising, and the university did nothing. And Jamie, while this is another Dr. Larry Nasser kind of scandal, and I, I'm fearful that there'll be more in more schools and more places, to me, this is really a medical doctor supervision issue. And maybe I'm crazy here, but my father-in-law many, many years ago was mistreated by a doctor and Francis and I made a complaint uh, to the California Medical Board and they just dismissed it out of hand. And I knew from my work as a lawyer that the California Medical Board, they don't do anything to supervise doctors. Doctors get away with literally murder routinely. And Jamie, to me, this Dr. George Tyndall, there should have been an ability by his victims to make complaints to the, the supervisory board of doctors. And then the supervisory board would say, we don't care whether USC is ignoring this or not. We're going to discipline this doctor. Jamie, am I crazy? Well, yeah. No, you're right. And, and the problem is there's something called peer review. And it's part of a big pattern in practice with peer review where people who are politically connected get reviewed by their peers who depend upon them for referral and they usually get off scot-free. And it happened. Uh, in USC with another doctor who was a meth addict who was prescribing to his very underage, it wasn't underage, she was a 20-year-old girlfriend, uh, and uh, she OD'd, and he was caught in a 9-11 uh, tape in Pasadena, uh, you know, defending basically her use of, of drugs since she was sick. He had prescribed them to her. And there were complaints to this peer review committee about this doctor, was the head of the USC uh, medical school dean there, very well politically connected, and, and the peer review ignored them. The medical board didn't find out until after the L.A. Times published a story about it uh, and found out this guy was a drug abuser, finally surrendered his license. But once again, the peer review failed, and it failed in this case of the OBGYN. And what peer review is is basically a closed-door, backdoor meeting of one's colleagues and sometimes business partners, and it needs to change. Uh, they, you know, Doctors should be on the hook if they peer review a doctor and there's a problem, and they do not report it to the medical board or to a state authority, uh, and very rarely do they. So uh, I think this is a problem not just at USC, but all across California. It's a problem with doctor discipline that's too lax. We have these horrible laws in California. You and I have been fighting against for a couple of decades that limit how much a malpractice victim can uh, recover in court uh, for their uh, non-economic damages, their pain and suffering, anything that doesn't relate result in wage loss or a medical bill disfigurement, um, uh, blindness, uh, pain, 250 grand put in in 1976 by Jerry Brown worth $52,000 today for inflation. It's a pittance and it means people can't get attorneys and there's no deterrence in the legal system to get rid of these bad doctors. So if the medical school peer review process fails, if the regulatory process uh, isn't activated or doesn't know, if the legal system fails, then patients can't be protected, and they, and there are repeat victims, as in this case. And, and, and unfortunately, the legislature is too in bed with the medical insurance complex to actually do anything about this. We're going to keep going back to the ballot time and again if they don't. Uh, we lost one such fight uh, in 2014 on a ballot measure to update all sorts of patient safety laws. We're going to go back and try it again if the legislature doesn't fix this. Well, Jamie, 
is there any chance of like forcing doctors to disclose that they have been, you know, uh, disciplined, that they've been sued? I mean, is there any chance of, of, of getting the law changed so that so that a doctor would have to disclose, hey, I was disciplined? I mean, I know it would greatly impinge on the doctor's business, but I'm much more worried about patient safety than I am doctor's business prospects. Yes, me too. And um, there is a chance. There's a bill by Senator Jerry Hill that we're working on right now and got to its first committee that says if a doctor uh, has a, a discipline, a, you know, a suspension, a disciplinary record, they have to disclose it to their patients. And the people who testified on behalf of that bill were very powerful. They were victims of sexual assault. Uh, people who said Olympic gymnasts who said, this is the reason guys like Larry Nasser walk. Uh, we have a chance of getting this bill through this year. It, it, it did get through last year because the doctor's lobby stopped it. But now with the Me Too movement hitting medicine, this is, uh, I think, uh, going to be harder for the doctors to stop. We just got the LA Times editorial board to uh, editorialize for this a couple of days ago. So uh, I think this is something that this time has come, and it's a slow step forward, but nonetheless it is a step forward. And, and we hope uh, we hope it will happen this year in California well, and spread to other states too. And, and State Senator Jerry Hill is a California state legislator. He goes to Sacramento because the states regulate doctors. The states regulate lawyers, accountants, chiropractors, and all this. So this is something that's done on a state-by-state basis. Jamie, is it is is California kind of the stand? I mean, are all the states as bad as California in just letting doctors get away with anything? Uh, no, some states are better. California is probably in the middle. But... Um but generally, in most states, uh, doctors have big sway over the medical association. The majority of doctors sit on most state medical boards. I think there's only a handful where the, doc- the public members in charge. And so when doctors regulate doctors, unfortunately, they don't regulate them tightly enough. Wow. Jamie, two very, very disturbing topics. We often have to deal with those, but we have to keep it moving. So, Jamie, I've got to leave it there. But thank you so very much, as always, for making time for us. If you don't know our friend Jamie Corton, even if you do, please do check consumerwatchdog.org. The website's constantly updating. They're always fighting for consumers, and we don't have too many friends left around, if you know what I mean. So check consumerwatchdog.org because they are very much our friend. Jamie Court, thanks so very much. We'll see you again next week. Thank you, Norm. It's been a pleasure.